Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special mailbag edition. Yes, it's Sunday. Yes, it's a mailbag. Yes, unfortunately, Andrew is here too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm special. I'm very good. How you, are you are very. You're always very special, mate. In all of the different ways, one can be special. <laughs> That's uh, what my you mum are, always course, said. <laughs> you are, of course, Andrew Ram Page, as I like to call you. You are also the managing director and founder. Of a little um, 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 online online private investment That's club. That's it, called strawman.com. So That's if you're looking one. for an online private investment club, try strawman.com. I should say on behalf of our business, try fool.com.au for Motley Fool investing advice. And the two are probably, as, as the cool kids say, as the little kid says in the meme, why not both? Why not both indeed? <laughs> why, not? why not? There is a lot of bad stuff out there in the finance world. I tend to think I'm entirely biased. Uh, but between strawman.com and The Motley Fool, uh, we try and bring you some of the best of uh, what we can offer to potential members in both cases. Uh, and we've got, we got some overlapping members too, which is kind of nice. I, I like that. I always like the fact that people are having a bit of uh, a, a bit of straw man, a bit of Motley Fool, uh, and seemingly getting some value out of it. So we're, we're pretty chuffed about that as well. Throw, throw in a podcast and you've got the trifecta. Hey, hey. Speaking of which, let's do a mailbag podcast. Before I do, mate, for those who didn't make it to the end of Friday's episode, a quick shout out. We are go- I'm going on holidays for a few weeks. We're going to do a driving holiday heading up to southwestern and western Queensland, which I cannot wait for, as long as bloody La Nina stays where she's supposed to be and gets out of the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the roads are currently flooded and closed, but I'm told reliably they'll be open in a couple of weeks' time, and I am itching, cannot wait. When, uh, when, when, are, weather, when are long-range weather reports ever wrong? Oh, except I'm I'm jinxed. That's the problem, right? So, like, honestly, you know, I just, I, it, I'm just thinking we'll get we'll get almost there, and there'll be some massive road closure. Like, all right, turn around, go home. So, I'm I'm desperately hoping that we will we will be there. But uh, more important for everybody listening is that means we're going to pre-record some episodes. So, if you have some questions for the mailbag, now is a wonderful time to get them in for two reasons. One, I'd love some extra questions so we can pre-record some episodes, and two. If you send them through in a couple of weeks' time, we're not going to be here. So you're going to have to wait longer to have your question answered. So help me help you. Help you help me. You can send your questions through to us. Uh, the other thing too, if you've got a topic you want us to cover on the episode, we've got some cool episodes lined up, can I say. But if you've got something you want us to talk about, if you've got a really burning idea of like, hey, I'd love you guys to spend an episode talking about X, whatever that is. If it's kind of episode worthy, um, then please let us know that too because we're always looking for good ideas. And as I say regularly, mate, what we love about Mailbag is not only does it give us a chance to do lots of variable stuff and just kind of, you know, fish around a bit, talking about lots of different things, it also means we know what you're thinking out there. So if you have some stuff that's on your mind, we'd love to know. All right, so that's out of the way. Uh, very quickly, info at fool.com.au is the email address. You probably know all our socials by now, but just in case you don't. Andrew is on Twitter exclusively after a deal with Elon Musk. Uh, he has at sage underscore Simeon and at strawman invest. I'm on Twitter and Insta at TMF Scott B. Or you can get me on Facebook, just simply go facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. You get the Motley Fool on all those platforms as well. Just, just look it up, Motley Fool Australia. You'll find us there. Okay, that's out of the way, mate. Let's move on to the questions. I got a great question during the week from Itamar. And Itamar says, Hi, Scott. Love the podcast. Last episode was great. Thank you. Thank you, mate. A quick question. As you discussed, it is likely that interest rate rises will result in in falls in the value of shares as people will prefer to keep money in the bank due to good returns. Can you please advise, he asks, whether people who contribute regularly to their portfolios every month will do better if in the next 12 months or so they don't contribute as it is highly likely that shares will drop. I don't mean to try and try to time the market, dot, dot, dot. Thanks from Itamar. So the basic idea here, mate, is he's saying, look, what if... Because the market's going to fall over the next 12 months, what if I just don't dollar cost average for a bit? What if I just let that money add up in the savings account, wait 12 months, and then jump in after share prices have fallen? It sounds, the worst sounds, idea, a, lot it? Like, sounds a lot like timing the market to me. No, he said it's not. He said it's not. No, it is a little bit. It's exactly. Look, it's a perfectly sensible question. It is. But anytime someone gives you a definite answer, run a mile. Um, <laughs> you don't know. You can't. Right, you right. can't yep, know. Yep. Yep. In twelve months' time, you'll know exactly what you should have done. And that, you know, um, mm. the, the the thing, the the optimum thing to do is wait until the market bottoms, put every single last cent in, mm-hmm. wait till it gets to the very top, and then sell mm-hmm. out and just you know um, rinse and repeat. It's it's buy low, sell high. 
Um, the, the trouble with that is, is that you just don't know. And no one, the, the old saying is no one rings a bell at the bottom. So you don't know. So the, so the, so the, the great thing, in fact, the only thing with dollar cost averaging is, mm. is that it kind of makes it a moot point to begin with. Mm. So just kind of like it is by design not the optimal strategy yeah. because the optimal strategy is the one that I just outlined. Um, but in, <laughs> but, but in, in, the world, in the world that we live in, it's optimal yeah. in the sense that you won't do the worst that you possibly – so the worst you can do is put it all in and then the market mm. falls mm. and then mm. sell then, right? So that's, that's the other end of the spectrum. So you're guaranteed to sort of – not get the very best return, but you're also guaranteed to not get the very worst return. And in yeah. fact, if the share market has taught us anything over the decades <laughs> and centuries, it's that the average is actually really, really, really great. And if more people were content with the average, we'd all be a lot wealthier. You know, it, yeah. it's 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 us trying trying to be a little bit cleverer <laughs> has done more to erode wealth <laughs> yeah, than exactly. you know. Take a simple thing and be consistent. Is there is just such power in that? It's so dumb and silly. Well, not, it's not the right word. It's so simplistic yeah. as to feel yeah, dumb. Seems to yes, that's right, that's right. And so you know, Buffett um, speaking to actually Brett Kelly from Kelly Partners Group recently about the mm. Berkshire meeting. They they mm. went mm. across there recently. Nice. nice. And you know, he's he's talking about what. What Berkshire does and the secrets to its success, he's, he really tries to emulate it with with his company. Mm-hmm. And my question to you was a little bit of a Dorothy Dixer, but you know, w- w- well, <laughs> if it's so obvious, why doesn't everyone do it? Yeah. And he goes, yeah, because it because it seems it seems too simple. Yeah. No one, co- right. and this Charlie and, and Warren right. have been saying this for fifty, well, not quite fifty years, but you know, for a, decades now. Is this like uh, more than fifty years actually? Well, they've been doing it for fifty oh, years. Okay, okay, but yeah. but you know, sort of like at first, it yeah, sort of gets fair, chalked up yeah. to luck. But you know, for, yep. certainly for decades, people go, okay, if you've got such a great method, why doesn't anyone do it? Mm. It's because because it just sounds too easy. Yeah. We buy really great businesses at what we think are sensible <laughs> exactly. prices. We don't overextend yeah. ourselves, and we just keep yep. doing yep. it. That's it. Yep. And and you can say it in 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 ten seconds. And yet mm. I can then go to someone who's graduated with 400 advanced degrees in finance and then they'll, they'll you know, and it just it feels as though it should yeah. be complicated. So I'm ranting yeah. a little bit here and I totally get the sentiment, just mm. dollar cost average, you know. Mm. And yes, I get it. it, it you, you'll probably look back in a year and go, oh, well, I would have been better to wait or mm. I would have been better to put it all in. And, well, that's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Mm. So, so just dollar cost average. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I was going to say, you were talking about the uh, the hassle and effort to outperform. I thought you were going to make an argument for ETFs and give up individual stock investing because that's I think like most people should. No, no, I think most people should. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, and, and I, I'm not saying you got to be careful when you say that because it makes it sound yeah. like, well, obviously I'm not doing that. <laughs> Someone of my genius, but you, ability, but you stupid people, exactly. Yeah, my, my my great intellect and ability. Well, that would be silly for a waste. Of, it'd be a waste of talent. If you're you know, as smart as me, you should invest. You should not do as smart that. as me. Then you yeah, shouldn't yeah. do that. But it is absolutely the smartest thing to do I think and I've made the point repeatedly it's, it's like I think mm. when you're a someone who <laughs> likes to uh, mm. um, think of themselves as a stock picker <laughs> I think you do it because you you love the process <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. um, Michael Jordan is retired but I'm sure he still plays basketball you know because right. he loves it right it's, it's yeah. sort of it's it's there is such a great enjoyment for me and if mm. you're that bit of a masochist and you like that kind of stuff <laughs> i think yeah. i think if you're not interested in it and you don't enjoy the actual process then yeah buy an etf and dollar cost ever you'll do you'll beat most of the professional money managers guaranteed mm. right mm. now mm. now i i think it's it's such a wonderful endeavor because it's it's it feels yeah. as though it's just about making money and buying shares i think that is the first level take on it I think the more deeper take on it is it's 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 having a deep curiosity and interest in how the world works and being able to sort of try and figure that out and it's it's more of a it's more of a game than anything else which yeah. which, which is um your boss and my former old boss David Gardner talks about a lot very successful investor and very very wealthy man by the way um, <laughs> he's done very nicely he's done very but it, you know he just he loves the process so I, I think mm. I think. I'm kind of whipping a dead horse at this stage. If you're if you're not the kind of person who enjoys this, ETFs dollar cost average. And if if yep. you do enjoy it and you feel as though you get a lot of value out of it, and look, frankly, if you put the work in, you probably can get one or two extra percentage points. But that's about it, right? Long term, that's that's probably yeah, totally. what, what you can expect. Yep. Yep. Uh, maybe you're a genius like Warren Buffett and you can get twenty percent compound, but it's not like you're going to be eighty percent compound. You know, it's yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the the upper 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 bound. 
for you being a genius who dedicates every single second of your life towards this stuff is probably double the market average. And for most mere mortals, probably two or three. If I if I on my deathbed look back and go, I hey, I I I beat the market by a couple of percent, I'll be, I'll be super happy with that. Ah, super not happy. gonna not gonna not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> not gonna happen. Hey, come on. No, no, the big the big guns I'm talking about. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I. So, I've got to say, it's. I so first, I completely agree with you, mate. Really, really, really agree with you. Um, it's one of those situations where I'm. I'll even I'll even challenge your your point, not to disagree for the sake of it, but but the idea of like, hey, if you're enjoying it, it's fun and whatever. I'm like, get a new hobby, you know. <laughs> and I and only look, we just for a quid, right? So I'm I'm absolutely pointing my finger back at myself a little bit. But it's one of those things like, so hang on, I can get the average market result with an ETF. Or I can gamble my entire future hoping that maybe I'm right. And if I'm wrong and I suck, maybe I lose to the market. And the amount it costs me is probably not worth the fun I was having because I could have bought a new car and had a divorce and got a new wife and whatever. And it probably would have been cheaper than me underperforming the market by 3% for the, for the next 45 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm being, of course, deliberately silly. Um, but there is, there is something about that as well. I, th- there's something about the market. You know, if, if, people, if people took the money that they take, put investing in, go and take it to the pub and uh, try, take it to the casino and try and double it, uh, you know, oh, I'm just having fun with some money here. It's like, that is like, you know, four or five zeros you're, you know, having fun with or, or making your hobby. Mm. Um, again, I'm not even disagreeing with you, but it, it, just, it just reminds me that um, we sometimes, once you call it investing, it kind of gives us license. You've made the, the, the example before about buying a new car and, you know, the, the $2,000 fish oil spray seems cheap when it's a $40,000 car. It's only another 5%. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And yet we, we cross town to save three cents on petrol. There's a, there's a, there's a, we're not very smart as something's as going wrong, mate. So, yeah, so I, I, actually, I'm being I'm being a bit facetious and just just taking devil's advocate for the sake of it. But it, it does remind me. Yes, I completely agree with you. By all means, if you enjoy investing, you want to you want to try and beat the market, go for it. Um, and David says talks about making it a game. It's one thing I disagree with him a little bit on because you know you want to make it something you 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 enjoy and you want to make it something that has a challenge and you want to try and achieve. And those things are analogous to games. But I also want to like it's you know which people are investing large amounts of money, five six figures. Um, it's kind of it's kind of worth you know if you're not good at this, you're not going to be good at it. Uh, don't don't play the game for too long and don't get sucked into the game for its own sake and let that kind of distort what you're trying to do because a, a market average for forty years is spectacularly good. Um, trying too hard, getting a bit less, losing money, letting it become stressful, all that kind of stuff. There's, there's, a, there's a line somewhere, is I guess all I'm thinking. You're, you're right, yeah. I mean, the, the, the game, disagree, the game the isn't the, the, the buy, for, well, just to clarify, because it's a good point yeah. you make. It's not the buy, the sell, oh, I'm up, I'm down. It's, it's the, oh, wow, there's this thing called, I don't know, Woolies. How does that make yeah. money? Why yeah, is that important? Totally. Why would yeah. I have any clue? Is that yeah. be around in 10 years' time? And if it is around in 10 years' time, why would it be making more money then? Mm. And what are the factors that lead into that? And just, it's just yeah. a really profound, deep question. You kind of get you get way into the weeds. It takes mm. you well mm. beyond finance and economics and all yeah. kinds, like everything from sort of behavioral finance to sociology. It's just it's it's fascinating. And then you get into some of the small caps that I like. And it's like, well, mm. here's a little company based out of Perth <laughs> with thirty employees. <laughs> Wow, they just made four million dollars last year. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. How are they doing that? Do I think that yeah. they can? That that is the interesting. You get those big parts right, and mm. then all the other stuff sort of falls into place. You know, even, even though you be, one day you'll be down thirty percent, the next day you're up eighty. But you know, it's just, mm. but 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 that's that's the game I want to play. So know the game you're playing. I suppose that you should say. And if if the game you're playing yes, is speculating point. on share that's prices, a that's a dumb game to play. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, back to Edomar's question. I he, here's the challenge with with market timing in general and even the things that everybody knows and we kind of did touch on this last week a little bit talking about the COVID crash and the fact that some really really smart successful traders and investors waited for COVID to be over before they decided to invest again and in doing so missed a remarkable rally right the COVID the COVID the pandemic didn't go away still hasn't but hopefully is on the wane the money came back really quickly. I think it was less than 12 months from, from kind of bottom to top. And, it, and while, by the way, COVID was in full swing, there were, there were further waves of different variants and all sorts of stuff. And, and you know, Edema, I think my, my, my general thing is th- thought is this. If we knew that that was going to happen, of course, we could wait and invest. But will it, keep, will it keep falling from here? Or have they already been priced in? The market is supposed to look forward, right? And so at some level... The market says, I think rates are now going to go to 2.4%, pick a number. And so therefore, I'm going to pay 25% less for shares. And guess what? We're there now. So we're done. 
That's already factored in. So what rates keep rising, the market goes, oh, you know, I knew that. What's going to happen? And that's kind of the COVID thing, right? We, shares fell so far, so fast at that point that the whole idea of there might be for the cases, yeah, yeah, we know. We're already, we've already priced that in. We're already allowed for that. And price that in is a really horrible, cliche, you know, jargony thing to say. But if you, here's, let's, let's take a good example, right? Let's say you expect Woolies sales to fall by half over the next year. Mm. Then when they actually do, so, sorry, and let's say Woolies shares halved in price. I'm just going to make my life really simple. In, in so anticipation they, of, of that yeah, right. expectation. So, yeah, so everyone yeah. says, oops, hey, Woolworths is going to suck this year because of XYZ, whatever it is. Uh, shares, uh, profits and sales are going to fall in half. So let's sell the shares and shares fall from 40 to 20 bucks. Then the actual data comes in. And everyone says, well, no, we knew that. So the shares stay at $20. They don't fall further because it's already been priced. It's already been assumed. And in fact, if sales and profit only fall 40%, the shares might go up to $25. And so when you're not investing because you're waiting for further falls, not only can they not fall further, but the recovery could come first. So Edom, I will look back in 12 months' time from the date of this podcast. I don't think I'll remember to do it. Uh, and the market could be up or it could be down. And that will be despite whatever economic circumstances happen. And over time, the two will correlate. But the question is, how much is the market already expecting? And how much have shares already fallen in, in anticipation, as Andrew says, of that? And that's why I don't try and dollar cost average. Because you have to know, firstly, what's going to happen. That's really hard to know. You need to know how the market's going to feel about that. That's hard to know. You need to then price in what they've already decided to feel about that and how the price have moved since. And while you can see what the prices have changed, you can't whether it's enough or not, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And as I said many, many times, the more ifs you put into a sentence, the less certain you should be about it and the less likely you are to make money trying it. So in this case, it's like, you know what? I don't know. Shares could fall another 15, 20, 30% for all I know between now and this time next year. Or they could rally 15% because everyone looks around and goes, oh, it's not that bad. We, we just can't know. And, okay. and so to Andrew's point, over time, if you dollar cost average anyway and ignore trying to do this, you'll do really, really, really well. Um, take housing last year, right? 25% in a year. Like no one predicted that at the beginning of the year. Zero a- And Well, and, and in fact, at the end of uh, middle of 2020, people were saying there was going to be a 30% crash in prices. Yep. That They're wrong by 55%. Now, whether prices fall again from here is a different question, but housing is a really easy, easy example. Housing could fall 30%. You'd sold your house then and bought it back at the end of the last year you would have paid 50% more for it than what you sold it for. So it's just, it's just worth thinking that through. It, it really is. And I, I guess the reason why we're really flogging this horse, it's not even a horse, it's a pile of bones and flesh and blood <laughs> at this point. But the reason why we continue to flog it is like, I, I know that a lot of people are going, oh, we get it, we get it. But the, <laughs> scare, the scary thing is, is though that uh. this is, this is like we're the, we're the ones wearing the tinfoil hats on the edge of yes. the group here. Like when you, when you go out, when you Google yeah. it, and you find out what other people yeah, are saying, right. people in the financial <laughs> review and the Australian, like very, mm. no, you know, people on very big salaries yeah. and very yeah. expensive suits will tell yeah. you the exact opposite. Yeah. Right, and 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 that's why you've kind of got to flog flog this message because yeah. it is it is it it is the it is the it is the fringe opinion, right? Um, bizarrely enough, bizarrely enough. Thankfully, I feel as though it's gaining more traction um, over the last mm, ten years hopefully. or so. But but you know, <laughs> yeah. go go see go see uh, stockbroker, and they will tell you no, no, no. You want to get in now, and you want to reposition, yeah. and you want to reweight, and you want to rotate out of this. It's just, that is how they make money, right? And it sounds cynical, but well, it is. And and I, I want to give you one other really great example. I tweeted this <laughs> yeah. out last night, actually. The um, a lot of talk about inflation in the seventies, right? And mm. what happened to the share market? So between. The end of 69 and mid-1975, inflation went from 3% to 16-something percent, mm. the CPI. 16%, right? Like, wrap your head around that. So um, the share market at that point um, uh, went from just eyeballing this. It basically got cut in half, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, and this is to your point. If you had invested in around June 1975... Great time of great, great, great time as we know, because I think you and I were, were, were basically born within a month <laughs> of the, the, the peak of CPI. Uh, incredible investment. <laughs> I'm, not sure what that, I'm not sure what that says, but yes. Incredible yeah. investment by our parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but so you're, you're putting your money into the market <laughs> where inflation is now at 16%. Uh, yeah. Unemployment is super. It's just it's just dark out there, right? And here's the other thing: even if you had a crystal ball, you would have seen that it would have taken until 19. 19- 80, 1978 to get mm. below 10% CPI 
And in fact, wow. then went up again. It wasn't really up until like the 80s that it started to sort yeah, of- that's right. Busy. So, so you've got another five years of ridiculously insane inflation. And yet, mm-hmm. and yet, in that mid-1975- <laughs> That's right. You would have come close to doubling your- Because the, the market had factored in all of this inflation. Yes, not, exactly. not exactly, not correctly, but it was sort of like yeah. things were yeah. so beaten up and things were so dark and things stayed so dark yeah. for so, 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 so long. The person who sat there and gone, I'm just going to wait for things to get better mm. and put some money into the market in 1975 or, oh, sorry, 1979 or something actually actually had a really bad run of it again. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's maddeningly difficult to time the market. And so I don't try and neither should you. Yep. I think that's, that's a perfect scenario. And that's exactly why uh, it can be tempting to want to. Uh, but if, and the other thing is, by the way, if we all knew it was going to happen, then that would be priced in by definition. So it's yeah. kind of one of those, like yeah. when everyone knows the thing, then either they're wrong or it's already priced in. The, the kind of, you know, I mean, the market's not super efficient. Sometimes you do find the opportunity to to do that. But literally, if everyone's thinking the same thing, ironically, that's the very best time to, be, to invest because that's when maximum pessimism is there. Everyone's selling or not investing because they're waiting for further falls. Well, guess what? That's, you know, at that point, that's when the thing's true. Almost mathematically, almost by definition. So, yep. but yep. really good question, Edmar. Thank you for- And Buffett says so when there's blood on the streets, right? That's that's right. that's the best time to invest. It really I think is. that was- um, Templeton, wasn't it? <laughs> Sorry, maybe. <laughs> Jackie Morgan. Yeah, Jackie okay. Morgan. <laughs> Mark, Mark Twain. Who knows? <laughs> I'm going to give this up eventually, but not yet. Uh, hi, Scott and Rambo, says Chris. Rambo, Rambo like there you it. go. Rambo page. I've been reading one of your book recommendations, The Little Book That Beats the Market. Can you guys please discuss the magic formula, mm. including the pros and cons? What are your thoughts on this method? How can someone go about ranking all the companies easily? without having to sift through every company's financial statements individually, etc. The author goes through the returns from using this strategy and it appears to consistently beat the market by a substantial margin. Surely it can't be that easy, says Chris. <laughs> what am I missing? He yeah, says, okay. further, I understand the base of what return on invested capital is, but how does one calculate this from the financial statements? Any insights and discussions, hugely appreciated. Love the pod. Keep up the good work. P.S. I must say as well, I like how you often have opposing views. No, we don't. And take up opposing yes, sides of an argument. <laughs> but can still have a respectful and intelligent discussion. It's always great to hear insightful information from both sides without aggro or attacks. Chris, you should hear what happens after the podcast. <laughs> oh, does Andrew go... Ma- no, I'm kidding. Um, all right. So really great question. Look, Chris, glad you're reading the, uh, the books. Um, if you want to check out that book, or you can go back. I don't know what episode it is. I'm not that organized. But um, go back through our, our um, history, our, our pod episodes. You can find some books we've recommended. But Magic Formula is one of them. Oh, sorry, the little book to beat. So Market is one of them. Using the Magic Formula. Ram, I'm kind of in Chris's... Uh, well, so I'm kind of in Chris's camp, but I'm not. On one hand, you kind of go, oh, this feels a bit too easy. How is it possible? On the mm. other hand, mm. it's like, well, the data doesn't lie or does it? Mm. Maybe backtesting has its own problems as you've mentioned before, mm. but it's not the world's worst idea. So maybe, can you just talk us through the magic formula and then yeah. maybe just, just straight out, how is it possible that it keeps, how, how, surely, as Chris said, it can't be that easy. Okay, so very, very quick review of the book. The book, the book basically says two things matter. One is the profitability of the business, i.e. how much money does it make per dollar invested? So, mm-hmm. so if you and I both have $100 and we start a business and you, know, you make $50 each year and I make $10 each year, we're both profitable businesses, but yours is far more profitable. You get much mm-hmm. more bang for your buck. So that's what return on invested capital measures. And just to answer that other question, awesome. you just take the profit and you divide it by the, uh, the capital in the business, right? Or, there's actually about 50 different ways of doing it and depending on exactly how you want to define it, what you want to strip out and it, gets, it can get a bit more complicated, but that's the basic idea. I think everyone will get, get the big big picture idea. Yep. The other thing that's really important is you want to buy a, a business as cheap as you possibly can. Mm. And what the book uses is something called earnings yield, which is just the inverse of the PE ratio. So price mm-hmm. divided by earnings. The lower the, the lower the price relative to the earnings of the business, the cheaper it is, all mm-hmm. else being equal. Yep. Or, or flip it around, the higher the earnings yield, the higher dollar you get for the... So if you pay uh, $100 for a business and that business makes uh, $10 in net profit, what's well, got a 10% earnings yield or flip mm-hmm. it around, the PE is 10. So what you want and what the magic formula does, it says, go look at the market, Mr. Computer, and show me the companies that have the best combination of a high return on capital and a high earnings yield. And if you buy a basket of those shares, 
and I think it reweights it every year, so it like sells anything that gets kicked yeah. out of the list and then buys right. it back in. You'll yep. do you'll do really well. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, um, so the one thing I will challenge you on, Chris, you said consistently outperforms the market. It doesn't con- no, no, nothing. Consi- it'll have periods of underperformance, but over time, it, it it's worked pretty well. Yep. Um, my problem with it is this: is that it, it's a, it's a, it's hard to argue with the uh, the idea of it. <laughs> the, yep. the the reality is, it's kind of one of these things that works in aggregate. It doesn't work on a selective basis. So if I let's say I run that scan, and I you know there's a million different software products out there that'll you know try and flog you this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and the, you know mm-hmm. go out there and, and I want to build this scan and I want to run it, and it'll spit back I don't know eighty nine companies, and then you take those eighty nine, you look at it, and you buy the three <laughs> or four or ten that you twenty that you like. It doesn't yeah. work on that because now you're actually adding a third filter. And the third filter is your prejudice. And I, I didn't say that in a negative way, just, just yeah, the normal. Just, yeah, yeah. Our, every, our everyone is subjective. Yep, yep. Yeah, and you're, you're, going, you're going to – and it kind of like, well, it's sort of – no, no, no. It, it, only, it only works mm. because within that basket of 80 – I'm making up these numbers. But within that mm. basket of 89 companies, some of them go insanely well. A whole bunch of them go really badly. But the average turns out to be a little bit better than the market, or at least mm. on average, mm. the average mm. turns out to be a little bit better than the market. So I feel as though the, the trouble with it is, from a practical standpoint, is that you mm. need to build a portfolio of probably somewhere between 50 and 150 companies. And that's, that's a lot of trades that you need yeah, to do. that's right. It's a lot of brokerage you need to pay. And even if you do, even if you do outperforming mm. the market, you don't outperform the market by by a little bit. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of work, uh, and a lot of cost for something that that might it's not gonna it's not gonna be radically better. Mm. Um, so I think the lesson I think it's a great book. I highly recommend anyone reads mm. it. But for me, the lesson of the book is yes. is yes. is two things matter: how efficient a company is at making money and how cheap it is. Now, yep. there's 400 other things you want to look at as well, <laughs> but but they're really good things to look at. I think that 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 was the takeaway for me for that book is that I want a company that is that is nice and profitable, and I want to buy it as cheap as possible. Mm. And I'll go to Chris's question, mate, about how sure that it can't be this easy. I think I'm, I I agree with you, mate. I've, I've never used the magic formula directly, um, but the, and I, I completely agree with you on the concepts. Why is it, it's not it's easy, as you said, sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does, and, mm-hmm. and over some periods of time, like any investing strategy, including like the market in general, there are times when it works better than others. Uh, frankly, the last 15 years have been a terrible time for value investing, uh, up until about 12 months ago. Maybe it's coming back in a fashion, maybe it's not. Um, here's the thing, if you can find a quality business that's, so the market is generally efficient most of the time for most companies, right? But if you're screening for those companies that are unusually high quality, and unusually cheap, that's probably where the market is going to be less efficient. In fact, the cheapness, almost by definition, if you find a quality company that's cheap, either it's going to go out of business or go badly. And frankly, that's why you have to be diversified. Even the magic formula uh, strategy says you should own at least 20 stocks that meet those criteria for that exact reason. Some are just genuinely cheap because statistically, there's something not factored in, whatever that thing is. It's probably there's some bad announcement coming out or a market deterioration or something else going on. But generally speaking, that's the idea. Um, but if you're buying, if you're buying companies that are profitable and, and, and as Andrew says, have a really, really high quality business that turns, you know, invest shelves uh, money into into profit really well, and it's cheap, those are probably the opportunities to. According to Joel Greenblatt, who wrote the book and who uh, who designed the strategy, those are the sort of companies that should be ineff- are inefficiently priced at that moment. And if you believe that you can beat the market, then you have to believe, as we do, you can find companies the market's wrong about. And Greenblatt's view is, hey, if you can find a high-quality company that's cheap, on average, the market's probably wrong. And I actually think I agree with him. It, it, on average, the market is probably wrong. Um, again, allow for the fact that this is trailing information, not forward information. So some of that is just changed circumstances. Some will be companies that surprise and don't do as well, or some expensive companies who are even better, as we saw during the last mm. decade or so of go-go growth in the in the, in the growth stocks. Um, but, it, it, you know, if... What we were saying is, is it really possible that some companies can be good and cheap? And the answer is generally yes. And if you're having a large enough sample of businesses over a large enough period of time, you will find those. That's what Andrew and I do every day, is trying to find companies that are good quality and cheap, cheaper than they should be. Yep. And so that's what that's what the Greenblatt Magic Formula effectively does in a systemic way. Um, 
so yeah, like I, I can't, I'm not vouching for it, but but as Andrew says, that the, the thinking behind it is really, really useful. And if you can find a profit, the other thing is, quality companies over time tend to do better. I, I wouldn't rebalance my portfolio every year as the magic formula suggests, but the broad idea of if I can find a company that is really, really good at turning shareholders' capital into profit, I want that, and I want to hold it for a really long period of time because whatever that remains the case, it's probably going to generate more and more and more profit, and <laughs> probably give me a really good return as long as to the second point, I pay a half decent price for that business. And so that's kind of my that's kind of my thing. Um, and just on one of the other Chris's point mm. about about disagreeing with one another, yeah. um, it reminded me of I just found it. Um, Daniel Kahneman, who's written a bunch of really great books, really good, oh, psych- so good. psychologist. He says um, to better avoid errors, you should talk to people who disagree with you, and you should talk to people who are not in the same emotional situation you are. And it's something it's something that I I just fundamentally embrace. I mean. The, mm-hmm. You know, my business is called Strawman because I want to put up ideas and I want people to like shoot it to bits. Right? Yeah. <laughs> my my ideas are either right or wrong, and if I have a little group of people who all agree that XYZ is the best company in the world, like that is a really dangerous environment. You know? <laughs> That's right. I want to I want to speak to the Scott Phillips yeah. of yeah. the world who are going to go, "What the hell are you thinking, Andrew?" Like that is like that is. I might we might not end up agreeing, but yeah, at least yeah, at yeah. least yeah. at least like you you. And you can't just pay it lip service. Like you've really got to, I'm going to really actively listen to what you're saying and I'm going to ruminate and think. I might still go, "Mm, yeah, it's a good point, but I disagree still. But but that is that is as an investor, really seek out others who who, who are in a different emotional state and have a different point of view. Um, Take... But what does Charlie Munger say? He's like, take the. You need to understand the bear case better than the bears. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you really do. If you can't, everyone can tell you why you should buy a company. The next mm-hmm. question after someone you're at the pub or whatever, and someone says, "Oh, this is a great company. You should buy it." Go, okay, cool. Why shouldn't I buy it? Mm-hmm. If they look at you blankly, run a mile. Right. Now, now, if they've really thought it, they'll go, "Okay, well, I really like it, but here's the things that could go wrong, and they are, and these are the things you need to look out for." That, that that will show you someone who's thought about it deeply, and then and and give you a, a far more balanced perspective. So yeah, I, I just want to emphasize that point because it's it's a good one. I want to disagree, mate, because it uh, would fit the nature of the question, but I can't. <laughs> you can't. Um, so here's here's the here, this is the I've said I say it a lot. So, uh, if you if you're not Charlie Munger would say if you, you spend any time not thinking about incentives, you're not spending enough time on it. Incentives yep. matter, right? Yeah. I, I would I would the, the 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 one I'd add to that is. If you think if you're not thinking enough about behavior, if you're not thinking about behavioral psychology and temperament, then you're missing a trick. Yep. Any time spent trying to get your valuations right to an extra decimal place, instead of saying, "What am I tripping myself up here? Why is the market tripping itself up? What's going on? What am I thinking? Why am I thinking that?" Um, ironically, I was. I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to I'm going to qualify it. I think Andrew and I are unusually good at the temperament stuff. Now. By definition, that requires ego and pride, which is its own bias. And so we need to be careful of that as well. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those self, um, self-perpetuating uh, loops that kind of, you know, can, can you be proud and then proud of being proud? Or can you, can you be humble and be proud of being humble? It's, I don't know. I don't know how it works. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but what I would say is that generally speaking, for the most part, Andrew, I bring very little ego to this idea. Andrew's Twitter bio says something like, uh, my opinion's only and they're probably wrong. I can't remember exactly what phrase you use on your, on your Twitter bio, but I love that. It's just like, hey, I'm probably wrong. Yeah, I'm but wrong, what I think. wrong looking right? to be less wrong. Yeah, that, That's what it was. There you go. Um, and I think I try and do something the same. My One of my superpowers is I don't have a lot of ego and pride about having to be the smartest person in the room. I've said before, I'm rarely the smartest person in a room. I'm here with the dog. I'm still probably not the smartest person in the room. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and that's, and, but that's the thing, right? Like if you can actually be okay with that, people, humans struggle, right? Because we need to be superior. It just, it makes our, it makes us feel better as humans. We just, we're, 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 we're wired and then culturally kind of doesn't help to, to show how good we are, how much we know, how, how unbeatable we are. We don't want to look silly because that makes us feel bad. So we try and be right. We try and pretend we're right or we try and convince others we're right, even if we're wrong. Um, if you just go like, I'm not the smartest person in the room, that's okay with me because I'm not going to make an investing fortune being the smartest guy in the room. It'd be a stupid thing for me to try and do because I'm not, firstly. Secondly, even if I was, that would simply lead to hubris. I know so many smart people who have made so many bad investing mistakes because of that um, self-belief, arrogance, ego, call it what you want. Um, and so, yeah, honestly, like to both Andrew and I, like, I don't know, here's, here's, what I think, here's what I'm thinking right now, but I don't know, tell me I'm wrong. 
Yeah. Um, and then, that, and, that's, then, and then, and then, yeah. yeah. And and don't and and recognize that when you when you are wrong because you will be wrong on a mm, bunch mm, of mm, times. Mm. It's just like yeah. okay, you know, it doesn't. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah, have to right. be right. You don't have to be right. Yes, and and, yes, and just yes. cop it. You know, the hardest thing in the world. People will go. A lot of people will be okay saying, okay, I clearly got mm-hmm. it wrong. But I'm not going to sell now because I'm just going to wait for it to go a bit. Then I'll, you know, you get into this yeah. really fuzzy things like I was wrong, it's wrong, I've made a mistake, I'm getting out. Like simple yes. as that. Yes. You can always yes. get back in if, if you change your mind down the track. But but and you, it doesn't mean you're wrong about everything. Don't you, you got yeah. again the ego of like I made a mistake, therefore I must suck at investing. So no, no, I made a mistake, but despite that, I'm okay at investing. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, every mistake is a chance to learn. I know that sounds hackneyed. Yeah. It's like there's a there's a motivational poster somewhere with that on it, but it's kind of it's kind of a good one, right? It really, it really. I mean, I I never beat myself up with making mistakes. Where I do beat myself up is when I and I, and I do it a lot. Is I make the same mistake again and yeah, again. That sucks. that's where I was like slap myself. Like, you idiot! How many times do you need to yeah. learn this lesson? Yes. That's that's the mistake, right? Um, now, very quickly. Floating, okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, about, okay. uh, I, no. we, we probably need to move on, but the um, I, I wrote an article for Equity Magazine recently. I think it's in the oh, July edition. But I started off with a quote, and I, it just so fits this. And this is from Ray Dalio. He runs Bridgewater Associates, the biggest hedge fund in the world. Mm. Very successful mm. investor, twenty seventh richest person in the world. Um, and he said, "I learned a great fear of being wrong, and it shifted my mindset from thinking I'm right to asking myself, how do I know I'm right?" And I saw clearly that the best way to answer this question is to find other independent thinkers like me who saw things differently from me. Mm. By engaging them in thoughtful disagreement, not an argument, not a Twitter fight, by engaging in thoughtful <laughs> disagreement, I would yeah. be able to understand their reasoning and have them stress test mine. That way mm-hmm. we can raise all of our probabilities of being right. And this is the, this nice. is the important thing. In other words, I just want to be right. I don't care if the answers come from me. And, and you know, I just learned to be radically open-minded and allow others to point out what I might be missing. And that th- this is something that that I think is so fundamental here. It's just mm-hmm. like you objectively on any investment decision you make, you're right or you're wrong, right? Now, and and the and the brutal reality is you're going to find out one way or the other. You, yes. you're, you, this, and here's your choice. You can have someone else go well, listen, I think you're wrong because they can sort of force you to sort of, well, not force you, but encourage you to sort of see a different angle, <laughs> un- understand that, the, the, that, it, that it's a flawed, you know, argument and you can and you can sell out. Probably make a little bit mm. of a profit or even a loss or just whatever. Mm. You just, you're, you're out. Or you can bury your head in the stand and then wait a few years <laughs> and then lose half your money. Yeah. Now, yeah. either way, you're going to find out. I prefer to find out by having by having someone tell me I'm wrong rather than having the market tell me wrong. Because when the market tells me I'm wrong, that sucks. Yeah, <laughs> really sucks. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. That, that's probably the, the, the key. Is just, just, you know, live, live with being wrong sometimes. Um, I think, look, in terms of, in terms of the... I think I think as long as you yeah the money doesn't know whether you're right or wrong. It only knows whether you're right, whether you made money right. It's there's no uh, Joe Mager who you saw with. By the way, great good oil episode I've recorded with Joe. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, Joe Ooh, onto the nice good oil one. our other podcast. Uh, check out that interview I had with Joe. Um, so yeah, that, that's what he, he he said years ago. I always stuck with you. Do you want to be right or do you want to make money? Yeah. And like you you can you can spend a lot of time trying to prove you're right mm-hmm. and be right and and pretend you're right and convince others you're right. Or you can just do the thing that makes you money. Yep. And yes, by one level, they're the same thing, right? But if you think about those where they're different, really, really important difference. Um, just a quick one on, on me, mate, speaking of biases. One of the things I've, I've learned is I tend to, I, I haven't, I had in the past, I've used the Domino's example so many times, right? So I, I was too quick on the trigger to sell stuff that might be slightly overvalued. So I've yeah. just put a rule in place, which is I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to hold stocks too long from now on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to suck. And that's okay with me because mm-hmm. I'm just literally, I'm literally taking my head out of the game. I'm not going to try and I could I could try and be right in in quotes. I could try and work out well. Okay, is it literally overvalued now or not? Is it what? I don't know. But if I pick up a Domino's every five years or so and hold some losers too long in the meantime, bring it on. Mm. Does that mean I'm wrong about my strategy? No, it means on average I'm right about the strategy. Mm-hmm. It has some good outcomes as to bad outcomes. But it works, <laughs> and, so, and that's you know it, that's it's, it's it's making sure your strategy overall works broadly, roughly, most of the time in the right direction. And if that sounds really negligent, then cool, because welcome to the party. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's it's literally about saying you know I'm going to have a strategy that works most often to make me money. That's all. That, that's all it needs. 
Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Um, <laughs> there's a, a, a half, half a rant uh, ram coming up, so you'll like this one. Ooh, good. But Jeremy just uh, gives us some feedback. When I say us some feedback, he means me. And speaking of being wrong, let's go with Jeremy's comment. He says, hi, Scott. I keep hearing you say trades on Comsec cost $20. If you sign up for a free Commonwealth transaction account, you get discounted trades. $10 for the first $1,000 of shares bought. I've had this for a number of years. You just need to use the CDIA, it's their Commonwealth Direct Investment Account, as a settlement account, and I move money in and out as I trade. He said, thanks for your podcast. It's required listening for me. He is absolutely right. You're right, Jeremy. Um, you can trade with Comsec for as little as 10 bucks if you're buying under $1,000 worth, worth of shares. Um, you say the first $1,000, it's a, basically if you only buy $1,000 worth of shares, it costs you 10 bucks. Um, so it's, it's pretty inexpensive. It's not as cheap as some others. Again, um, it depends how much you trade. If you go over the $1,000, it costs you more and et cetera, et cetera. But you're absolutely right. Um, the Commonwealth Bank does, so Comsec does have uh, better trades if you're trading with smaller amounts of money. They're just worth, it's, it's I, un- made a good point, so I thought I'd mention it. It's understandable you wouldn't know that, mate, because you only trade in million-dollar increments. So you know, mate, we'll, well, we'll I have you people that that trade million-dollar increments for me. I, I'm too, I'm too <laughs> important right. to that. I don't, I don't place my own trades. What do you think I am? Uh, can I tell you, I absolutely place my own trades, and I don't trade in million-dollar increments. Although I would love to have that problem, Jeremy. So when I when it's not a problem anymore, um, I do actually afford it to. I, I try and trade more than a thousand dollars at a time to try and minimize my brokerage as a percentage. So I do add up, up some savings then and go when I get to that amount. But you're absolutely right, mate. That's the other way to do it and it works perfectly fine. So yeah, good point. Nice one. nice one. Thank you for that. Hey, um, speaking of, this is the rate I was telling you about. Scott says, hey, fools, love the podcast. Thank you, mate. Can I get on the high horse? Of course you can. What I love, he didn't even really ask. He asked and then got on with it anyway. He said, can I get on the high horse? Here I go. I recently raised my concern with my industry super fund. I, I won't, uh, there's a lot of details in here. Um, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, but he basically talks about the fact they showed a fee amount. It's a 360 bucks with the fees for 12 months for a $50,000 investment, right? Um, but then he says, I thought it should be higher. I thought it should be $390, which should also include, quote, borrowing costs of 0.06%, which they quote on their website, or extra $30, which is the cost of a four-pack of your local craft beer, he says. I wouldn't know. I don't drink craft beer. But bugger me, they came back saying, it's important to quote, it's important to note that pursuant to the Corporations Act Schedule 10, some costs are not required to be included in the disclosure of fees and costs, no. such as borrowing costs, end quote. Uh, as, oh, sorry, uh, I think this, I might, they might have messed up some uh, quotes here. Anyway, they then go on to say, quote, as such, borrowing costs are not explicitly included in our fees and costs, but rather are included in the earnings applied back to members. This is disclosed on our website under the tab Transactional Operational Costs, end quote. Uh, and then Scott goes back to say, uh, so it's a fee that has been deducted from my earnings, therefore reducing my balance, but it's not a, quote, fee, end quote. How the hell is the layman meant to get a true understanding of the fees on your super account if these fees are excluded from the examples used? Hope you can use this for the Q&A podcast. We did, Scott, and thank you for asking. I love a, I love a good righteous rant, as you know, from yeah. our, our podcast. He's, right. He's dead right, too. He is dead right. Yeah. 100% yeah. right. There's, no, there's, there's technically right. He's in like, yes. well, no laws yeah. have been broken. <laughs> right. And then there's like, come on, guys. Can, you know, uh, can, I, can I say though, mate? I, I, I reckon Scott's actually, uh, it's only the thin end of the wedge here. Because all of, you know, the fees that don't get included are when, if, if your super fund then invests in a managed fund itself that has its mm. own fees inside that, mm. Mm. The, the sorts of fees that are required to be disclosed don't even go that deep as far as I'm aware. Um, and so, you know, how many, how many layers of fees are there in the whole thing before you get back to your total returns? Um, so yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's a $30 difference, which on one hand is not a big deal. It's really not, um, not enough to change super funds for. But as you say, mate, if that's if that's the approach, then you're not going to get the full the full story. It's absolutely 100% correct. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. Oh, look, I, I'm uh, maybe I shouldn't name it, but who, the the people I'm with <laughs> is um, it's just so frustratingly bad the experience. You know, they've got good. Fees and there's plenty of them that go. Oh, I didn't know about that one, and you know. But overall, they're they're okay. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. one of these. So it's not a self-managed super fund, but it allows mm-hmm. me to choose stocks within the top three hundred. Yeah. Um. 
but it's just sort of like, well, what can I you to find those stocks and to find the rules? And that's only if 20% of this is held there, but on that one there, and you can't have more than 13% of that one in this one <laughs> and this mad, stock. And then so you put the order in and it goes, no, you can't do that. Well, why can't? Oh, because that's not good. You know, it all, it all makes sense when you, when you spend four hours diving <laughs> yeah. into it. Yeah, but because I very, very, very rarely tweak it, it's like every six months I yeah. go through this ridiculous yeah. learning process and the, 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 the whole, the whole <laughs> system right. should be, should be a lot easier and a lot more transparent. And agreed, agreed. and sadly it's not. So I, I feel your pain, Scott. I do too. Um, yeah, look, and uh, so a couple of things I will say, not not for not to defend this particular industry fund, but for what it's worth, um, as long as everyone uses the same rules, at least you're comparing apples with apples, which is something. It's not much, mm. but it's something. Um, so you can at least look across the, the board and say, okay, whatever rules are applied, if they're applied to everyone equally, you can at least look at those rules and, and, and have a directionally accurate sense of who's charging you more and who's charging you less. Um, I think I will say, by the way, if you're paying 400 bucks a year rather than 360 for your super, you're still doing much better than the vast bulk of people who are just defaulting to whichever their employer put them in, some mm-hmm. high-fee retail fund or likelihood. So um, I, I, you're right to absolutely rant about it, and I love that you joined the high horse. Thank you for doing that. Um, I, I will, again, put my ad in for industry super funds. I just think, you know, yep, the, you know, is, is that ideal? No, not even close. Is it much better than a, a for-profit fund? Almost certainly on yep. fees, almost certainly on total returns. So be angry, be cranky. Uh, by all means, uh, just and I know you're not going to do this necessarily, mate. But for any of our listeners, don't throw babies out with bathwaters and this stuff. Everyone's using the same rules, uh, and frankly, the the higher fee guys will also exclude those same fees. Um, so just just yep, rant and get changed for sure. But overall, uh, I think it's a bit like we talk about market timing, right? At the very beginning of the episode, it's kind of like you know what. Get, get the roughly right stuff matters if you're with an industry super fund who's reasonable sizable has enough scale to be worthwhile um you, you're going to do you're going to do better than average almost by definition just by keeping those fees low could they be better disclosed should they be better calculated should the corporation's laws change absolutely um the finance industry has way too much sway with government ram and i've talked about that before yeah um poachers and gamekeepers and stuff we know in the u.s the uh the ratings agencies got taken for a ride by by smarter better paid people who were you know basically mm-hmm. trying to rot and get one over them and they did mm-hmm. the same is generally true of regulators uh, you can get paid four five six ton ten times as much work for private industry than working for a regulator so mm-hmm. you've got to be either be a masochist or, or or truly um truly driven by by the right motivations to do that and get much less money you could get elsewhere mm-hmm. uh, but i'm glad they do uh, but just, just you know, uh, again, it wouldn't take much to put a broom through this stuff. One day when uh, Albo or someone else calls me up to be treasurer for a year, is it to pinch hit? I'll, I'll fix some stuff. But in the meantime, we're just gonna have to deal with what we've got. But as I said, get, get just make those big general decisions, get those roughly right, and that'll look after most of your returns. Yeah, I think one. Of the, I, I think about um, that general idea a lot, actually, and that, that's that. It's the idea that perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah, so and important. It's mate. so important. I think a lot I, when I'm talking about stocks with friends and that it comes up a lot because people uh-huh. will say, "Oh, but this and that." And th-. like the trouble is when you wait for the perfect business, mm. it, you, you end up making no investments. I think mm. it, mm. even mm. the very, very, very best investments I've ever made, it's like they've always got a few hairs on them. There's always something. It's like mm, I don't mm. like mm. how the CEO mm. did that, or I wish they didn't yeah. do this. Or yeah, it's exactly. You exactly. know, it, it's more of a, I'd like to like you draw a. Drop a ledger. There's pros and then there's cons, you know. And there's sort of as long as the pros severely outweigh the cons, you're okay. But if you mm. wait for that perfect pitch, it's kind of like, yeah, you're never going to invest, right? Or the perfect yeah. time, the perfect opportunity, the perfect super structure. So yeah, point well made. Yep, I like it. Thank you, mate. Hey, another question from a different Scott this time. They've got me, but two other Scots. And they are different Scots, as far as we know. Uh, hi, Scott. Question for the podcast, if I may. Yes, you can. I like this one too. When considering investing in smaller micro cap companies. As they are more risky, the idea of an ETF is quite attractive. However, if a company is successful, it will grow to no longer be a small cap. So it would be removed from the ETF, wouldn't it? And would we miss out on the growth of this success story as a result? Thanks, Scott. I've thought a lot about this, Ram, over the Mm, years. Yeah, me too. Um, Well, I'll throw it to you first. Your thoughts? Uh, so uh, the bottom line is, yes, it does get removed from the ETF is the, is the easy answer, right? Um, yeah. Under most rules of most ETFs. We can't come out every single ETF because they may have different rules. Um, I know some small cap funds let their fund managers keep some larger companies as a set percentage or up to a set percentage as they get bigger to kind of capitalize on that ongoing growth. But otherwise, they do tend to come out of the ETF, don't they? 
Yeah, they they do, and so um, as you know, I I, I love mm. I love this part of the market. So I, I actually most of my money is in the small cap part. I do, and I will yeah. take I will take exception, Scott. With I uh, knew you would with you this, would. this. As soon as I said the word, because yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it said it's it's said all the time, and people will yes. say small yes. caps are more risky, and yes. I'm like, well. No, uh, are they more volatile? Yeah, uh, risk volatility is not risk, right? Buffett says risk is the, um, lo- the mm-hmm. is the chance of permanent loss of capital. Yep. Something can be hyper volatile, but yeah. but um, not risky at all. So I'll give you a, an example. It's actually not that smaller company, but it's a very liquid, thinly traded one. It's called E-Road, and they do they do tags for trucks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And not, won't go into it, but the other day it dropped twenty percent intraday. Oh. I'm like what the hell happened? Like, That's volatile. What, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. you, you sort of open up your watch list and go, "Oh like, no, oh, there's yeah. been there's been some massive profit downgrade, or what's going yeah. on?" Absolutely yeah. no news. Dove into oh. it. Twenty nine trades had passed through the market that day. A value You're of forty two thousand dollars. Right. 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 So right. literally zero point zero two percent of shares on issue traded mm. that day. Mm. Mm. And it caused $43 million in, in value to be wiped off the market. <laughs> now, now right. what happened there? Nothing. And by the end of the day, that gap had massively closed and now it's gone. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's sort Funny of like, now, now, if you were just looking at the business and you were, mm. the, you were the senior executive team who knows everything that's virtually going on within the business and said, what mm. happened today? Like, uh, no, it's a Tuesday. Nothing. Yeah, I know it's, right. it's Martha from Account's birthday and we're having some cake. Like, nothing has changed. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. nothing yeah. has changed. And yeah. so, but but the 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 uh, conocrats sort of look at it and go, oh, that's a very risky business. And it's like, no, mm. it's it's a volatile business. So I, I want to make that point. Mm. The other the other point I would make is that actually, having said that, to speak out the other side of my mouth, I think even if you want to look at risk in the proper through the proper lens, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would say that on on average, more, more companies are risky. They're either pre revenue, certainly pre profit, a lot of the time, and in many cases pre revenue, and therefore almost by definition more risky from a proper risk analysis kind of yeah. kind of standpoint. Yeah. So this, this will be a great. This will be a greater chance that they can't execute on whatever plans they have to the point of potentially going broke or just, as you say, literally the Buffett's example, a permanent loss of capital. Yeah. If, if they spend ten million dollars on a thing and the thing doesn't work, there's probably not a lot of money left in the bank to to make up for it. So you're probably going to lose that money. For They're just earlier stage companies, as, on average. Now again, there's yeah. there's it's it's funny, isn't it? Like everything sort of on looked at a relative basis. A lot of small mm-hmm. cap companies that I've got are still worth eighty million dollars. If I came up to you at a barbecue and said, "Hey, I've got a, I own an eighty million." Million dollar business. No one's going. Oh, isn't that? Oh, cute? you're small fry. Look, yeah, <laughs> small business owner. Are we? Like, that's an eighty million dollar business. Okay, next to BHP and Commonwealth Bank, it's it's yeah. tiny. It's a yeah. tiny little nothing company. But it's actually. And you know, very- what else is funny though. Yeah. Almost every company in the ASX is considered a small cap from a US lens. So, so it's also exactly. a relative thing in the, in, the, in the other direction, which is yeah, uh, Woolworths. Oh, it's a small cap, is it? No, it's actually really, really big. It's one of our biggest Aren't companies. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Apple's a trillion dollars. Amazon's a trillion dollars. Woolies is worth you know forty billion or whatever. It's like, oh, that's really quite small then. Yeah, oh, it's, really yeah. Big. it's all it's all relative. So you, I yeah, think, and then yeah. within a lot of these companies that I've got, that they are they are profitable mm, businesses, mm, or at least very strong sales momentum, strong balance. Yeah. They're not they're not that risky. I, I would I very strongly argue that a lot of the companies I've got that are sub two hundred million dollar market cap are far less risky than some some stocks that are in the top two hundred. Far less risky. Um, I, I would agree with you, but I also would say you, to your point, just just I want to underscore this bit, if you don't mind, yep. which is because there are so many in that basket. If you would if you were to grab a, a dart and throw it at a group of small caps, uh, yes. you're much much more likely to hit a much, much riskier business. So being small cap by itself doesn't make it more risky. Well, actually, it probably does, actually. Um, but but uh, not necessarily, and that's almost the point. On average, as a group, there'll be heap of do well. If Andrew can pick them well, he'll do really, really well. Uh, but if you, were to, if you were to grab a, a non-representative sample, literally just a, or, you know, just a, literally a random sample, the chance that of 20 companies, 15 are terrible businesses is pretty high, right? Uh- a hundred percent agree. In in fact, it's kind of the next point, really. Which is, as much as I love the small cap space, um, I actually think on aggregate I don't like them that much. I'm furiously googling <laughs> here while you're you're typing. Right. Right. Um, but you know, over the last five years, what's this one? This is the beta shares Australian small cap mm-hmm. thing. It's gone from three dollars to about three dollars fifty in five years. It's, you know, it's not right. terrible. It's not great. And within mm-hmm. that, within mm-hmm. that, they're just following an index. I'm not having a go at, at, at beta yeah, shares yeah, here yeah, at all. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. The mandate is we invest in the small cap end of the market. We follow this mm-hmm. index and that's what we do. And that's that's what you get. Yeah. 
But yeah. your point is exactly spot on, mate. It was in mo like you know the, the ones that just 10x and do incredibly well are absolutely um, dampened mm. by by the ones that do terribly. And statistically, yeah. if you're throwing darts here, yes, yeah, statistically it is it is actually lower risk. So, mm. so mm. quite a lot to unpack in in all of that kind of stuff. Yep. But yep. but yep. hopefully that's sort of covered the main the main points. Except we haven't answered the question at all, which is, given the fact that those small caps, as they are successfully going to leave a small cap ETF, what, is it, what does it mean for the investment merits, worthiness, um, relative attractiveness of that ETF? If you miss the, as all these goes from a small cap to a medium cap, you go, oh, this is going great, and oh, it's gone. Yeah. It's, I don't, it's, now, it's now a big cap, so it's gone. Yeah. Does that make... A small cap ETF, a mid cap ETF, less attractive to you? For me, how it do, does. How do you think about that? Yeah, it okay. does. I, I think ETFs, we, we make this point often. It's just like it's kind of, you know, Vanguard invented this awesome product and then the industry yeah. just sniffed money and then just went crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So now there's an ETF on everything. Oh, trust me nuts. You know, you'll be pleased to know there's a Bitcoin ETF as well now. You know, so it's like there's oh, everything. Un- pleased is probably two. There's, there's two term. actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's everything under the sun and-, and I, <laughs> So I would I would say the best ETF, just the broad base index ETF, you know, follows the all something like ASX two hundred. They're, they're they're the ones you want if you want to do it. Um, I think I know people have strongly different views, but then you can you can kind of a little bit have your cake and eat it too. So let's say keep the numbers round. You've got ten thousand uh, dollars, and you want some exposure to the small cap end of the market. I would actually say well, I don't know, put eight thousand dollars in in an, in a broad based ETF, and then and then pick a handful of stocks in the small cap end of town. Now, it's kind of like, you know, you can still go wrong there. But even if you entirely blow every single last one of those investments up and they all go to zero, mm. you know, you still got the vast bulk of your wealth in, in something else. So I, I, yeah. I, feel, I feel as though if you're going to wander into small caps, you, you, there's, there's no avoiding the fact you just have to do a bit of homework and actually look at the mm. business and understand it. And don't, don't go to small caps because they're small caps. <laughs> go to small, I go to, why do I go to small caps? Because they're under-researched, the big funds and the, they, don't, they don't touch them. They're completely mm. under-researched mm. and they have the potential that when they, every, it, Woolies was a small cap at one stage. BHP was right. like, all That's of right. the best businesses in the world were small caps. And the money that you make on these ones, are, are, yeah. as they do, like, why, why would I? I've bought a business, twenty million dollar market cap. It's it's done its thing. It's proven itself up. It's gotten traction. It's got product market fit. It's got serious momentum. It's building brand. And as a consequence mm-hmm. of its success, it then becomes worth a hundred million, two hundred million, and then gets kicked out of the index. Like, w- yeah. no, I'm I'm strapped into this <laughs> rocket. I am. I'm not letting go. Yeah, okay, I've done well to yeah. get to this stage, yeah. but. Why? Why would I? Why would I jump off this at, at at this point? Now that it's now that it's got everything going its way, and that's that's the insanity of of the of of some of the mandates in the small cap space. As soon as something becomes successful, which will be the exception to the rule, you get yeah. rid of it, and then you reinvest the money back into the pool of stuff that statistically is going to you know not not going to be great. So, for, for Can all I those that reasons. question hypothetically for you, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I'm glad you're on a massive rant because it turns out. I own units in the Vanguard Small Ordinaries ETF. Okay, sorry. Um, which is, no, which is, which is great. I love it. That's why I shut up and let you talk. It was fun. Um, and I will tell you that I actually share your concerns despite owning it. What's the, what's the ticker there? Sorry, just out of interest. VSO is the Vanguard VSO. one that I own. Okay, cool. Now, so here's a couple of, here's a couple of things. So I'll, I'll answer you a couple of questions and we'll, we'll work it out. The reason I, I own this ETF, and you're right about, by the way, Vanguard inventing an ETF and the whole lot going nuts and there's too many of them. I completely, 100% agree. 95% of ETFs should be shut down tomorrow if they were genuinely serving their investors, like genuinely. Mm. Um, the Australian market is a weird one. You and I have talked about this a lot and I don't, don't want to overdo it, but just for the sake of sharing with our listeners again, the thinking. Uh, banks and miners make up something like 45% of the Australian ASX 200 or the All Lords mm. um, indices. And I don't love either of those industries for long-term outperformance. So I wanted an Australian ETF that was as broad as possible that simply said, but I don't want uh, overabundance of banks and miners in my portfolio. Yeah, yeah. I get and so that. my, my, my the, the, the what was left bit <laughs> was the small odds will do as a proxy for the market excluding those big guys. Mm. Now, it excludes CSL and Woolworths and Telstra and a whole lot of other stuff as well. Um, at the moment, at least, there's not an ETF X mining and resources that I'm aware of and banks, sorry, that I'm aware of. 
I'm not even sure there should be one, as we've just talked about. There's too many already. So let's be honest, there's, there's just way too, that's way too much, way too overdone. So for me, I kind of went, this is, this is my young bloke, so we got some money in a, in a separate brokerage account for him. And it's, it's just a, it was the, the Perler experience we, experiment we've talked about before. Uh, it was like, okay, pick two ETFs, regular investing, regular, regular purchase. Uh, I picked the Vanguard Global ETF and the Australian Small Ords as a, as a proxy for the Australian market, excluding those two, those big, two big issues I didn't really want. And, and by the way, it's not a, um, not an ethical view on excluding those. Just I think they're going to be underperforming sectors. And an ETF is supposed to be, a broad index ETF is supposed to be broadly diversified. The ASX simply is not, and that's okay. But it, the reality is, it's not. So I took a different took a different view. So that that's that's the why for me. In terms of, uh, funnily enough, the, the, I will the, I will um, provide a different view to yours without without conviction, mate. But for what it's worth, there are a whole lot of VC venture capital funds, private equity funds, that invest in startups all the time. And the startups get to a certain size, they sell them off, and they reinvest the money in something else. And their view is if they can find enough that go from 10 million to 100 million, they can 10x their money quicker than the, 10, the $100 million, $100 million company is going to go to a billion dollars. And if, if the smaller end of the market is more attractive, as you rightly point out, it could be for many people, uh, you and I will kind of do the same sorts of things with our portfolios. You might, if you're a VC firm, you'll say, I'll buy, I'll invest in Facebook when it's worth a million dollars. I'll sell that when it's $100 million. It eventually go to a billion dollars, but by then I'll have found another $15 million companies that I can make 10x on my money on and in quicker time. Mm. So if if that if that theory was right, I'd have no idea whether it's right for the ASX, by the way, at all. So I'm not I'm not advancing this view in slightest. Mm. But if you had a view to say, hey, that's likely to be the case, the reason you might sell out of big companies as they get bigger is in percentage terms, reinvesting in the next rocket rather than holding on while Woolies goes from 10 billion to 40 billion in 15 years. Great return, fantastic. Mm. But if I can get a 4x return in 15 years on Woolies, maybe I can get a 10x return in 15 years on something else mm. or a group of other things that are smaller as they go through their rocket phase. That would be Now, that's not why I own the ETF, by the way, but that would be the argument. And, and to the question specifically, that would also be something, you, if, you, if you did own the ETF, as Scott asks, you might say, well, I'm happy to own the ETF because as they get big, they're just less likely to grow quite as quickly. You just have a slowing of growth, generally speaking, for most large companies. And at that point, if I if I own small and mids because I wanted that sort of hyper growth, taking the money out of Woolies as it gets too big and reinvesting it into something small as it grows might actually be financially sensible. I don't know if it will. Again, I'm not making that argument for either my reason for owning or for this particular ETF or this particular index itself. Mm. But that would be the counter argument, I assume. Does that sound reasonably logical? Yeah, yeah, possible? yeah, totally, possible? totally. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no right or wrong. It's just you know yes. what, you know, like there. Well, there's sometimes there's very much a wrong in, in our game, but the, the, <laughs> there there, really there is really always is. there is a, there's a lot of leeway for personal <laughs> yeah. choice as long as eyes wide open. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. going in knowing exactly what I'm trying to achieve here, and I'm you know any yeah. any economic financial decision usually involves an opportunity cost or compromise of some degree. Uh, and that's cool. Um, you just you just got to be aware of what that is and whether you're comfortable with it and whether the trade-off is, is worth it relative to your yes. goals, circumstances. Yes. So there's no, there's, I'm definitely not going to say you're, what you're doing is wrong. Um, and Let the me ask thing, you a question. <clears throat> well, I was just, just going to make the point. I, why I looked at the code is so I thought, mm. well, let's just check out the performance of that ETF versus the Vanguard. Yeah, right. Which is the VAS, which is the broader one. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, so the small one was uh, came to inception in 2011. It's done 27 percent in gross terms since then. The broader blue chip one, which is ostensibly slower growing, is done 48 percent. So it's outperformed <laughs> it by 20 percent. You know, you so so again, there there's there yeah. is some. Yep. You got to be careful, right? Because totally, people will yeah, say, "Oh, well, you go you, you go down the small cap because quote unquote mm-hmm. it's more mm-hmm. risky, but you'll get yeah. greater returns." Well, yes. not not then. Now, again, <laughs> I, I also right. say, you know, the great thing about the market is you can make any argument and support it with facts. <laughs> that's right. And that's if right. I look at a five year chart, of whatever actually, time frame, exactly, the small cap right. <laughs> is done twenty seven percent versus the the big ones done twenty three. So, yeah, so yeah. you know, there there is all of that kind of totally, stuff. But totally, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, hopefully some food uh, for thought. Over the last year, uh, the small odds are down more than the. Uh, than the oh, I uh, bet it ASX is. Country, <laughs> I have no not doubt, by much, so funnily enough. So the yeah. and this is this is share price, not including dividends, and fair to assume the large caps probably got more dividends. But true. Um, the the uh, ASX three hundred down three percent. 
the small odds down six percent. So not as much as you'd expect, but but still a, a bigger gap. Yeah. Um, and then, and this is and that, I mean that's exactly why you could almost I'm sure you could overlay the banking sector as the gap between those two and the mining sector, which is almost exactly my point. Yes. Uh, and who knows? I might be completely wrong trying to avoid those two sectors for all it's worth. Um, as a passive index ETF for an extended period, like seriously long term. Uh, you know, he'll get it at some point when I'll stop talking about it when he's old enough to listen to the podcast if he ever chooses to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, it, we're talking decade plus sort of holding period. I'm not sure when we'll let him have the have the whatever money we managed to <laughs> add up. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what's on our mind. It's a it's a really it's a challenging one. Mate. I would rather have not bought this one. I I think I generally agree with Scott that. Ideally, I think it's worth keeping those companies for the duration, mm. rather than rather than selling them just because they get to a certain size. Yeah, I think totally. there's just there's just, there's just value in that. Um, or, or or just or just more more correctly, it's just it. Neither of us can make these blanket statements. It, it is it, yeah. the answer is so frustratingly often it depends. So it's just I, I just, what companies can have incredible success for five years and then go to zero, right? Mm. So it, it's a mm. question. It's a question of. Am I selling it just because it's big? Yeah, yeah. No, that's dumb. Am I selling it because, well, it happens to be bigger, but also the outlook has changed radically and mm, the business mm. is now undermined and, you know, et cetera. Well, that's a totally different story. So so always look at it on a, on a, on a case-by-case basis would be my, my strong argument. Do you imagine you'll hold some of the companies? You're a small cap investor now. If I, mm. if I talk to you in 20 years' time, are you going to hold some of these as they become mega caps, or do you think you're going to be likely to kind of go? Excellent ah, question. This has kind of played out. I'll go and I'll go and reinvest in some of these small caps. Excellent question. Do you think you'll question. almost mirror that? Um, it will depend. <laughs> so, so there'll be some. <laughs> let's say some that go. You know, uh, you what's think? the smallest one I own at the moment is probably a 10 million dollar company. <laughs> and yeah, it's tiny. It's super yeah. illiquid. I've, you could throw ten grand at it and like move the price. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you'd be, you'd be a essential shareholder in a couple of couple. Yeah, of honestly, exactly. like you, yeah. I've, I've yeah. always wanted to do that actually, but <laughs> I, I don't have enough money, sadly. Um, no, but 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 the the answer will depend on one of opportunity cost. If let's say it goes, yeah, okay. let's say in in ten years time we're now looking at a company. Let's let's be ambitious. Let's say it's now like half a billion dollars, five hundred million market cap. <laughs> the question yeah, will be. Yeah. Do I, and I've got to factor in the massive amount of, what a great problem, by the way, the massive oh, amount of yes. tax I've got to pay <laughs> it's on that. It's 100 times in value, do I want to sell it or not? Who cares? I, I <laughs> hope I have this problem, right? Like people overthink yeah, yeah. tax. I hope I've got a massive tax bill in 10 years. Yeah, but yeah. but but if, if it turns out that across <laughs> my desk has come another company that is mm-hmm. just got a far, far better opportunity mm-hmm. that even once accounting for the tax pay, that it's just a mm-hmm. better vehicle, then I will switch it with it in a heartbeat. If I look around and there's actually there's just no better alternative, opportunity cost is one of the big, big, big ideas in investing that you have to think about. And often when we're on Ausbiz or you know in the meeting, people say, "Do you like this company?" The answer will often be no, and then and you know the host will say, "But why? It's not that bad a company." Oh yeah, no, it's a perfectly decent company. And the, people look at you strangely. And it's like so the the thing you've got to understand is it's it's a no for me. Because I'm mm-hmm. me, and and I've got my own biases and preferences, but yep. not not because not because I think it's a bad company. I, I pass on heaps of perfectly decent yep. companies, and you should. And, and my my goal isn't to find a decent company. My goal is to find the very best companies that I can find, which are available to me. And I only need you know people have different line in the sand but for me it's a little, I, I, there's no way I need to own more than 20 companies tops and frankly I'm, I'm more than happy with 10 or 15 so so the answer is the question isn't is this a good company the question is is this in my opinion one of the best risk reward opp- top 10 or 15 risk reward opportunities available on the ASX and if the answer is no then it's a pass Simple as that. And, that, and that's a roundabout way of answering your question on the small caps. Like, I will ask, I will look through if I'm sensible and smart and managing to avoid all the behavioural traps that we all fall into. My answer will be that that I'll, I'll look through that exact lens. Is mm-hmm. is there a better alternative use for this capital? I like it. I like it, mate. That's probably done for us. We will come back next week. Uh, a reminder, I won't do the socials again, but a reminder to please throw us some questions and comments if you've got any uh, topics to cover for the big episodes or any mailbag. Now is a wonderful time to make sure we get them because if we don't get them before I go, we can't answer them until after I'm back. Uh, and we'll go on holidays at some point too. I feel like I'm the guy but regularly going on holidays. But <laughs> we, had, we, we did Fraser Island uh, a couple of months ago. We were catching up. That was a 2019 holiday, a 2020 holiday. 
that we never quite got to. So, uh, so we catch you on that one. This one's a, a long planned one. So, mate, mate, when uh, you love yep. what you do, you don't need a holday, right? This is, this is, oh, the is I'll go on holidays and I'll just wish I was back here at my desk. Oh, can, can I tell you? I, I have I have thought that the new Starlink satellite you can actually now attach to a uh, vehicle. Apparently, I've heard. So you, Very can, you cool. can be anywhere. It's not quite far enough where we're going, but at some point, I can happily work and travel at the same time. Which that be, is uh, the dream. I won't yeah. be able to convince my wife and son to do that, but uh, if they ever change their mind, I can do that. That'd, that'd be <laughs> kind of nice. All right, that's enough. Until next week. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.